This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm eating a banana. <laughs> uh, uh, my name's Jesse, though. Ah, Jesse and the banana. Mm-hmm. On audiobook near you. At a, at a store near you. How does that go? I want the unabridged version because I want more banana. <laughs> All right, sir. Hey. What have you been listening to? I am listening to, right now I've got two audiobooks running. Um, one is Smoke by uh, Donald E. Westlake, which uh, you and Luke spoke about on the um, Science Fiction Book Review podcast. Yes, we did. And um, anyway, it is excellent. I'm about a third of the way through that. And uh, laughing the whole way. Yeah, it's pretty um, funny, isn't it? Yeah, it, Westlake. Um, you've you've talked to him about, or you've talked about him to me before, many um, times. But is he many. is he normally um, funny? Yes. Okay, yes. so that, that's kind of his normal mode. But the Richard yes. Stark novels are not funny. That's right. They're okay. they're there's no humor in them at all, unless it's unless you're a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> Well, cool. Because it's all very serious. Westlake mostly writes funny stuff. He's well known for his Dortmunder series, which mm-hmm. or he wrote. He's deceased; just died about a year and year and a few days ago. Um, he wrote a series of Dortmunder novels, which are all comic crime novels. They're actually classified as mysteries if you go into the bookstore, but there's no mystery about it at all. It's mm-hmm. he doesn't write any mysteries. They're just crime stories with uh, burglars and heisters and all sorts of criminals who uh, usually operate out of New York City and have trouble stealing things. <laughs> um, there, there are some Wests like uh, early stuff. Um, he wrote some science fiction. I sent you a, uh, a piece about how he left the field of science fiction, yeah, why he left. Yeah. Did you guys talk about that in the podcast? No, we didn't. Um, okay. so, I, I found uh, that very interesting. Hopefully you'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, but yeah, that was a really interesting. I, I'd be really curious about when he wrote that. I know that uh, he was Late very, 60s, very negative on Joe or uh, John W. Campbell. But I'm wondering if that was written before Dangerous Visions came out, or if it was that sentiment of how science fiction was really one kind of thing, and they were kind of closed to other kinds of things, and then Dangerous Visions came out and was successful, and that kind of changed that. I think uh, a lot of the resentment that um, you see in there is probably uh, was in the air at the time. I remember listening to interviews with Philip K. Dick where similar things were said. You know, people are just trying to write books, and they're not able to make a living at it. Um, And so they're, they're trying to write whatever will sell. And for Westlake, it ended up being a very good thing. He... He, he was he was a guy who was able to write multiple novels a year, often uh, up to you know six novels a year in his early years or more. Mm-hmm. It's actually unknown how many novels he uh, because many of them are written under pseudonyms, and there are many scholars, including one great website, oh, which I will link to, um, that tries to investigate exactly how many he wrote. Um, mm-hmm. He, Robert Silverberg, and uh, Lawrence Block were all writing uh, these these novels in the late 60s. 
and the, the basically the, the way it worked was the more you write, the more you get paid. And so mm-hmm. they would write lots fast. Mm-hmm. Um, Westlake uh, turns turns out some science fiction that's still available in print, or at least at your library. And um, some of them are not uh, serious. I, I mentioned a couple to you that I think you got through Paperback Swap. Uh-huh. Uh, the Axe, yeah. The Hook, those are uh, both Westlake novels under written under his own name, but uh, not humorous, except in certain cases. They're, they're not meant to be humorous, but um, he wrote he wrote so much and over such a long period of time that it's hard to classify all his writing under any one thing, other than it's all pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm going to finish this one and then uh, see where to go next. Um, <clears throat> the uh, Yeah, like you said, on from Paperback Swap, I got The Axe in, and I also got The Hook, both written by Westlake, um, but neither of them are on audio. Or, uh, they are available, or, or were at one time. Mm-hmm. I have them in my collection. Oh, good. But uh, if if you're dying for them, I can I can send them your way. But all right. Um, Sounds th- good. There's yeah, good. They're out there. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, anything else? Yeah, the, the the other thing that I'm listening to right now is uh, the Engines of God by Jack McDevitt, which oh, right. is um, I, was, I think it's I was the, interested in getting that. Yeah, it's the first one in the. Um, Actually, gosh, I don't know what the series is called, but there's a, a a character named Priscilla Hutchins. They call her Hutch, and uh, this is the first novel with her in it, if I uh, have my facts straight. Um, it was written in the 1990s, and then there was about a four-year gap or so, and then he started to write a bunch more with this same character in it. And it's really um, some ooh-wow stuff, which is kind of what I was in the mood for. The book is a lot... Uh, slower than stuff that's being written now. You know, everything now is like, go, 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 go. This is more of a, um, I don't know, it's a little bit quicker than something like Rendezvous with Rama, but there is a lot of similarity between this novel and that one in that they spend a lot of time looking at uh, alien artifacts and, um, you know, just basically archaeological sites out in space. Alien archaeology sounds good. Yeah. Xeno, Xeno archaeology. Xeno archaeology, yeah. And there's, you know, your uh, evil corporation that wants to um, terraform a planet that um, there's this really nice archaeological site on. So the people down on the ground are trying to get their science done before the uh, company decides to go ahead and let loose their terraforming, which involves some nuclear bomb activity on the uh, poles. Um, anyway, so it's pretty violent. The, the, the first, the first stage of the terraforming is pretty pretty violent. <coughs> so, who's uh, the narrator on that? Do you remember? Um, it's a Blackstone audiobook, and that's a good question on the narrator. Um, the, the The interesting thing is that this volume is, like I said, from Blackstone. And all of the rest of the Jack McDevitts are available, but they're all Audible Frontiers. Um, yeah, I saw a raft of his stuff appear on Audible, and I thought, oh, that's good, because uh, he's not really somebody I've read a lot of, but I've, uh-huh. what I have read, I have liked. Yeah. Yeah, lately I've been getting back in the mood. Uh, Tom Weiner is the, the narrator. Weiner. Weiner. Dave Weiner. Okay, Tom Weiner. <laughs> um... 
why don't you say my name right? (laughs) Nice. That's not actually how he talks, but... (laughs) Yeah, I've been getting in the mood for more of the hard science fiction, which seems kind of far and few, you know, that they they don't write them like that anymore. Um, It's hard. (laughs) They're the hardest ones to write, I would guess. I was thinking about this, you know, there's a lot of talk out there about how science fiction is dead or as we know it is dead and all this stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm reading 2010 Odyssey 2 for mm-hmm. this hard science fiction group that I'm in on Goodreads. Mm-hmm. It's called the Hard SF Group. And um, that one does not exist on audiobook as far as I know, by the way. Oh, which, sure. Which it You're right. probably ought to. But I was thinking that, you know, the, the book was written in the 80s. I think it was 84 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading this book thinking the same kind of thoughts that I was thinking in 84 when I read it. And those thoughts are, yeah, you know, we're not really that far away from this um, kind of capability of being able to fly to other planets and things. And, well, the book uh, itself is uh, seven years old. Right? It, the events of the book itself are in the past. That's right. Without- that's right. So... Um, but I, I think that that might be some of why science fiction kind of has stalled, at least that t- that sub-branch of science fiction, because, you know, we as the human race have stalled on the exploration of space, and we're not coming up with a whole lot of new information. I mean, I guess the biggest yeah, news... That makes sense. Yeah. I guess Exoplanets the, are pretty big. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. That That's the biggest news, that we can now say, yes, there are planets around other solar systems, or other stars, and... There seems to be one heck of a lot of them, you know. Yeah. So that's that's the big news, you know. That verification is big news, but that's really, you know, since the '80s, you know, when I was uh, graduating high school, that was really uh, the main thing that's changed there. Yeah, I think for anything that's out, you know, outside the solar system, that that kind of science fiction really hasn't progressed at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, we're we're not learning anything new we're not talking much uh new mm-hmm. you know um now i think in other areas of science fiction there are actually getting a lot of interesting new books and interesting new memes and things that are happening but yeah i agree mm-hmm. yeah and there are a lot of other um yeah like the social science fiction um, yeah i have downloaded and i've listened to just a little bit of the wind-up girl by, mm-hmm. uh, gosh, I'm going to murder his name, I know it. Paolo. Paolo Basigalupi, is that right? Sounds all right. <laughs> um, anyway, I've listened to the first couple of chapters of that, you know, I'm going to get back to it. Um, but it's a, t- it's a different kind of science fiction, you know. Um, it's not... Economics, I, I think. Yeah, is some I, of I mean, right? there's some economics in there, yeah, and he is talking about some of that, and um, the wind-up girl in the story is kind of a... Um, you know, I actually, I haven't quite figured out exactly what she is, but, uh, she seems to be, you know, and I may have this wrong since I'm so early in the book, but she seems to be, um, some kind of a manufactured person mm-hmm. that, you know, when she moves, she's real jerky. And, uh, it, the, the, the chapter that I read, um, or heard, um, was very affecting, you know, so, there's a lot of emotions and things going on there, so I, I don't, I haven't quite figured out exactly, you know, what she is yet. Um, that's that's the mystery that will keep you reading. Yeah, yeah. 
So, but it's a different kind of science fiction, you know, that, that, that's, it is. Yeah. It's different from a lot of the, uh, stuff that was coming out. You know, I don't know if I need to be attached to the eighties or not. I just like the hard (laughs) science fiction. I like, I miss the, uh, the ooh wow of the first contact alien story. I really love that. Um, probably not. I think, I think there's been a few, uh, out there. Uh, I mean, Robert J. Sawyer's done some since the 80s that are yeah. first contact stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Calculating God was a good one. Yeah. Um, you know, for various reasons, but one of the reasons was, you know, here it is, first contact. That's another, uh, the first Ted Chang I ever read. Well, was a great yeah, see, anything you say bad about science fiction is negated instantly by Ted Chang, right? <laughs> you say, I'm going to win this argument, here's some Ted Chang. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The story of your life is a great story, and it it should it's be not on available audio. on audio yet. Yeah, it really needs to be because man, Seriously. is that good? Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A, uh, a good female reader would could do wonders with that story. Hopefully, Audible's listening to this because <laughs> love to see that. Right. So, how about you? What have you got in your ear? Oh boy, just finished The Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. 99% of the way through, uh, well, 80% of the way through um, Smoke. Again, I've, I've read yeah. it before, maybe twice before, actually. Yeah. Um, and I'm currently working on the latest Mike Resnick uh, space opera. Oh, yeah. The Starship series, the last one in the Starship series. Cool. Um, and that's uh, that's actually taken a twist that I did not, did not see coming. Um it better change, you know, it better be addressed in a proper way. I'm going to have to shake my head at Mike Resnick. I, I mean, I'm only halfway through, mm-hmm. but uh, he's he's got his character doing something I I did not expect. And, you know, it's like I'm, I'm kind of mad because I was invested in this character. So uh-huh. if it turns out the way I expect, which I don't think, I, he's probably just tricking me because that's what he does, right? Uh-huh. He's a good writer, manipulates you the right way. Um, I think that's what he's doing. So hopefully, I'm not I'm not going to be upset. But uh, yeah, he's got he's got his 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 hero character doing some very villainous things, hmm. and it's, it's like even his crew is against it. So uh, I have a feeling it's <laughs> it's going to turn out okay, just right. based on previous reading. But um, yeah, so I'm working on that. Cool. Uh, Listen to lots of podcasts, of course. Uh-huh. Um, I picked up a, a book from the library, Island of the Blue Dolphins. Have you, oh. um, Scott have you read that? or something? Is it Scott Yeah. O'Dell? I yeah. was just looking at that the other day with my daughter. But, you know, no, I, I, I read that book when I was in uh, elementary school, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember it very distinctly as being good, but yeah. I, don't, I don't remember much other than the title. Yeah. We had that one in my hand and uh, Summer of the Monkeys by... Uh, oh, who wrote that? I don't know that one. You never heard of Summer of the Monkeys? No. Nope. Anyway, we had uh, those two in our hand, and uh, Summer of the Monkeys won out. Okay. So I read uh, the first chapter of that. That's a book that I read in uh, elementary school. Hmm. It's about some uh, a kid. It's like a 14-year-old boy in the Oklahoma mm-hmm. in the late 1800s. And, you know, him and his dog, you know, running around the forest and stuff. You know, his dad owns a farm. And uh, 
there's monkeys in the forest. And it, <laughs> if I remember right, you know, having not read this for a long, long time, if I remember right, they were from like a circus train that wrecked or something and let the animals loose. And, uh, so it's not science fiction. It's, no, it's, uh, um, no. just a YA sort of thing. Exactly. Yep. I have is a it? feeling that Island of the Blue Dolphins is science fiction mm-hmm. or fantasy. I can't remember though. Well, the but first, the first science fiction book I ever read was Dolphin Island by Arthur C. Clarke. I remember it really clear. And, um, it was about a kid named Johnny who um, decided to run away from home. He got in, got on a. Uh, uh, they, they had these hovercraft things that flew by his house all the time. Well, anyway, one of them broke down, so he climbed in on that, kind of stowed away while it was broke down, and then it took off again, and he ended up like in Australia or something. It actually crashed, mm-hmm. crashed, you know, halfway around the world or whatever. That sounds pretty and, good. Yeah, and he ended up on an island where they were doing research with dolphins. I know in uh, 2010 there was some dolphin stuff at the beginning as well, the movie yeah, at least. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember the too, book. Where I'm about, I don't know, I think I'm about a quarter of the way through it or a little more. And yeah, they were, in fact, he goes into it a little bit more than that. But the uh, Haywood Floyd's wife is a marine biologist specializing in dolphins. Um, by the way, uh, this is the year we make contact. According That's to that right. Movie. I'm looking forward so, to that. So get you know get ready to sell your house. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Not, the only the only buyers, of course, will be aliens with lots of money. It's the only That's way right. they could get here is to have lots of money. Turning the whole place into District Nine, which is a movie yeah, that we're going to be living in the District Nine. That's because, right. See, the only way aliens could come to Earth is if they're really rich. Yeah. They have to be flush to get all this way. <laughs> I hey? saw District 9 over the holidays. What did you and think? I loved it. I thought it was terrific. That was a great movie. I, think? I think it's pretty darn good, uh, but mm-hmm. it does have giant plot holes that once you start thinking about it, mm-hmm. might, might make your opinion go down. I mean, okay. all the all the fuel stuff was just uh, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the... the oh, the MacGuffin. I mean... Yeah, yeah. It, it was it just is a MacGuffin. The whole thing seemed to be a stupid MacGuffin. That's the that's the the problem. Yeah. Other than that, um, I, I really liked the I liked the new setting. I liked it. it wasn't you know set in Hollywood the way you know set in Los Angeles or set in New York. It's nice to see a foreign city and sort of a foreign uh, foreign group of people get get some major screen coverage. Yeah. 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 And the actor who played the main character, I don't know what his name is, but I thought he did a terrific job. He did a very good job convincing us he's completely unlikable. To, yeah, yeah. Which is a hard move to pull off in a film, you know, that you want to be popular. Exactly. I thought the aliens were pretty well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I thought, uh, I thought it was a pretty good movie, actually. Yep, yep, I enjoyed it. And I liked, you know, uh, kind of using science fiction to comment on current situations mm-hmm. without making it uh, completely obvious, I guess. Well, you that's, know, that's it, the whole pull of science fiction of that story, kind, right? I guess it works as a story without connecting it to our current situation. But it's neat that it has the added depth. I guess that's what I'm trying yep. to say. I agree. Like a lot of the old Star Treks. <laughs> a lot of those yep. had, had some of that in it. So, Yep. Not much anymore. You could do Avatar and be completely in your face about it. 
Uh, I haven't seen. I haven't seen it. How how oh. did you like it? Oh, I liked it. Okay, I mean, it's it, it was a movie that I mean, it looked gorgeous, you know, just like everybody says. But it was without a single surprise, other than you know the the neat ways that the aliens interacted with the environment. But once the story started, you knew exactly what was going to happen because you've seen it so many times before. Right. So there was absolutely no surprise factor at all. Um, but it looked fantastic. It was it was just gorgeous movie. So. Oh, um, I, it, it satisfies a lot of people, obviously. Yeah, given the, obviously the the uh, the count. But yeah, I'm not I'm not dying to see it just because of the. Of that the, the review that it's it's gorgeous, uh, with but the story is sort of crappy. Doesn't mm-hmm. or at least not interesting. Yeah, doesn't really appeal. Yeah, yeah, feel the same way. So. Oh well. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I've been also listening to Skybreaker, the second book in the Airborne ah. series by um, uh, Kenneth Opal. Right. Is that full cast audio? It is full cast audio, and Great. it's. It's, I was reading somebody's review of it, and they were saying uh, there's sound effects, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh no, that can't be right. So I went back to a chapter where I thought I, you know, would have been the most ex- exam- best example of sound effects. I don't think there are any sound effects. I, I could, but see, the thing is, is huh, shouldn't I notice? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Shouldn't I notice that there's sound effects? Sure. Uh, yeah. But the problem is, uh, they do such a masterful job. I. I may not notice. <laughs> so I, I'm not 100% sure yet that it doesn't have any sound effects because I've been listening carefully, trying to point them out, but I get so stuck into the story. Mm-hmm. Um, because full cast audios, their their plan is you take a book, you take out all the attributions that don't add any value to the story if you've got different actors playing all the different roles, mm-hmm. and then you just let her fly. Right? Right, you perform right. the book. Um, so... I'm listening, and they've got all these different characters, all these different actors, and most of them are uh, only only ever problem I've I've ever heard with a full cast audiobook is they had a young kid playing a young kid, uh-huh. I think. and uh, that sort of I think it was a full cast audiobook that had that, and, and the kid was just too young; they didn't have the acting chops yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, it might not have even been them. Anyways, um, it's like an audio drama; it's like a movie in your mind, exactly. But it's the full book, which I really appreciate. It, it isn't, you know, some some guys come in and chopped it up and turned it into, you know, their own interpretation. I want the original book, um, and the way they do it is just get great actors to perform it together. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's turning out great. Um, mm. I have some I have some quibbles with with the book. It, it feels it's so good. It feels like uh, if it's going to have propaganda in it, it should be. Uh, only the kind of propaganda I like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's 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 hard to classify as a book. It's it's not fantasy exactly. It's not science fiction exactly. It's sort of alternate history, but not completely. Yeah. Uh, he's basically just telling a story, and he tries to be consistent within that story. But there's some stuff in it that is so um, so puzzling for me. I don't think it would be puzzling for a kid who's reading it. It's it's probably you know it's designed for seventeen to eighteen year old kids, oh, maybe younger than that. Um, it, it's it's family friendly, uh, as all full cast audio books are. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's sort of YA, yeah. but it's got it's got you know barely a hint of sex. 
you know, he's thinking about kissing her or whatever. But the main the main thing is it's got propaganda uh, in the sense that it it says, you know, here's a here's a woman who's really interested in being in zoology, right? Mm-hmm. So this is isn't this a great way? Look at how excited she is. Maybe you'd like to be a zoologist, this sort of thing, right? Uh, yeah. It doesn't really, you know, hit you over the head with the idea that hey, you could be a zoologist. It just talks about her interest in zoology and classification and all the you know discovering new species, etc. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, likewise, the main character has a uh, passion for airships, as do I. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, what was uh, the one uh, you gave it a, a SFF Audio Essential? What was yeah, the one? first Airborne. Airborne, okay. Yeah, yep. this is the second one in the in this in the series, and it's it's I'm not quite finished it yet, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's going to be up there as well. Great. Um, it, it follows the same pattern as the first one. It's uh, some people uh, in the reviews I've been reading. Some people think that uh, it's better than the first one, which I, th- I think is possible. We'll see mm-hmm. how it goes. Yeah. It's got pirates. It's got airships. It's got uh, you know early 20th century sort of level technology. It's pretty cool. But on the science department, he sort of falls short in a couple of other areas, right? So he's got he's got some good biology. He's got some good uh, physics, mm-hmm. but he just throws in things that there's no reason to change it. I don't understand why he did it. Um, he's got this uh, gas, non-flammable gas. I mean, you've got airships, right? The big problem is hydrogen. Um, well, he doesn't go for helium. He goes for some other lifting gas that doesn't exist in our universe, mm-hmm. uh, but exists in his and it has a smell and it's non-flammable and it seems to lift better than hydrogen, which is pretty hard. Uh-huh. The only thing that could lift better than hydrogen would be a vacuum. Right. Anyways, that's me, the tech, the techie guy in me, right, being a little upset. But the, but then he throws in phrenology, like a phrenology mis- machine, where you you sit down on the machine and it starts poking your head to tell, to you know, do a sort of a, a astrolo- astrological sign on your head, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, to tell you how you're gonna be, yeah, <laughs> or what you're like. Um, and I thought, you know. That's terrible. He should have had the character say something like, phrenology, that's bullshit. You, know? uh, you bet. It's got a, it's, it's, the, the premise is there's a, uh, an airship that's been lost, like uh, the Mary Celeste, mm-hmm. uh, among the, out in the sky somewhere. It's been lost for 40 years, and uh, it apparently has a treasure on board. So they're, uh, one day they spot this ship, and um, they determined to go back with the right equipment and uh, capture its secrets. And the, the owner of the airship who originally built it um, apparently brought gold and treasure with him, but uh, he's also a, uh inventor. Uh, he's kind of like a, a cross between Howard Hughes and uh, Thomas Edison. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's got pirates in it. Come on. All right. Was, pirates like, and airships? Yeah, pirates and airships. You now we're go. talking. So that's great. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying that very much. Cool. Yeah, I sampled um, some more graphic audio. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're giving away um, on I think it's graphicaudio.net. They're giving away the first hour of Brandon Sanderson's Warbreaker. Oh, that oh, they should doing, look that. Uh, now that's not an unabridged reading like the full cast audio does. It's uh, really. Uh, I'm I'm not it's sure how else. long it is, but it, it's, it's like an audio drama more, right? Yeah, it's a, but it's a long one. I mean, it's very long. Um, I think that 
Elantris. Truckers. Was, yeah. Yeah, Elantris was done in three six hour pieces, I think. Um, so. Three six, oh, 18 hours. That's like unabridged, basically. Yeah, yeah. So it's in a multi, you know, voice reading with sound and all that stuff. With sound effects, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it sure sounds good. Yeah, sir. I've heard some of their stuff, and um, I've got one half uh, half finished. I, I started one of the um, Elizabeth Moon books. Oh yeah, and um, I I, re- I listed the first you know batch, and then I didn't have the second batch, mm-hmm. so I've sort of stalled because until I get the second batch, you know, get the the second one in hand, I I can't finish. I can't half review a book, you know. Sure. So I'm gonna wait until I got the second half in hand, and then I'll 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 do it. But yeah, I, I mean, it sort of breaks all the rules that I don't like uh, uh, to have broken. You know, yeah. um, audio drama uh, based on a book that's fairly close to the book with sound effects. But uh, generally, I think they do a pretty good job. I mean, it it is sort of not um, it's not it's not like high awesome high awesome audio drama. Like mm-hmm. the Blake Seven stuff, yeah, and it's not um, it's not really full cast audio in the in the way that full cast audio does it, but it's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good, and it yeah, it, it, good. it really does do the job that I think it's designed to do, which is to pass the time on the road, and that's oh. where I was listening to it, and I found you know it made the drive sort of disappear. You're just in the story. Yeah, cool. And that's what. You're doing. Oh yeah. That's great. Yeah, the Elizabeth Moon book. Uh, I uh, it's I think it's not bad as War. It's in it's in that series, um, or maybe it's not bad. It's it's about a, a ex starships captain who becomes a, a private captain for a, a rich rich lady, and her adventures as the captain of this small luxury vessel. Hmm. Gotcha. All right. Anything else you got in line or that um, you listen to? I was thinking uh, we should have a new feature. Yes. We've got new releases. Uh-huh. We've got recent arrivals, which I've got one to mention, by the way. Okay. Uh, we've got, I guess, just discussion, which we have a lot uh-huh. of. <laughs> um, I was thinking um, this is sort of what Tony had on uh, the Sophonauts. Uh Pick of the Week. Oh, uh-huh. something something that doesn't necessarily have to be an audiobook or an audio drama can be anything that's wor- worthy of attention. Okay. Does that sound like an interesting sure. idea? You bet. Let her rip. Okay. I assume that you have a pick of the week. Well, I can make one. All right. I got, I got lots of picks. <laughs> Other than uh, beautiful, beautiful yellow bananas. You bet. Uh, <laughs> uh, other than that, um, an old movie. Uh, from mm-hmm. 1977, called uh, this uh, not the sorcerer, just sorcerer. It's a William Friedkin movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I, I recommended it to one of my friends um, the other day, and he was watching it. And he, he, I said, you know, keep your expectations low, and remember that at the beginning of the movie, um, they're just building the characters. the The film, the action per se, doesn't doesn't hit its stride until about 40 minutes in. But once it does, it doesn't let up. Um, and there's a, a bunch of movies that I sort of feel that they're they're out there and they didn't get the recognition they deserved because people probably walked out of the theater. Uh-huh. You know? um, so it came out uh, around the same time as Star Wars. Um, everybody's seen Star Wars. Yep. It sort of gets lost in the rush, right? There's a few movies like that. Mm-hmm. They get lost in the rush. Um, uh, Sorcerer is set in uh, 
South America for the most part. Um, I'm not sure exactly which country. It might have been Venezuela. Um, and uh, it's about four uh, expatriates from other parts of the world that are stuck there in uh, uh, South American hell, basically. It's a hot, sweaty place where they have no money um, and they want to get out. But uh, in order to get out, they have to work together uh, to move uh, four boxes of um, nitroglycerin 200 miles down the road. Uh-huh. And so they have to load uh, these nitroglycerin boxes into uh, some trucks and drive them 200 miles down the road. Now, you know the way nitroglycerin is. You you sort of look at it funny, it explodes, right? Right, right. So, <laughs> um, And these are the worst roads in the world, basically, and storms and tree, fallen trees, all sorts of troubles. You know, rebels in the forest uh, stop them. So I, I re- highly recommend that if you can if you can get it uh, you should be able to get it on Netflix uh, only okay. in uh, four four point three ratio. There's no widescreen version of it, uh-huh. but um, I, I treasure my laserdisc copy. <laughs> oh wow! How about that? Uh, although it's probably discs. it's probably <clears throat> completely rotted away to uh, laser rot. Uh, I've got a VHS rip of it. Yeah, somehow uh, I completely missed the laserdisc revolution. Well, it was probably wise in a way. Uh-huh. It's probably wise, but it, it, what was great about Laserdisc is they were putting out um, widescreen for the most part mm-hmm. uh, all the way through the run of Laserdisc, where VHS only picked it up right at the end of Laserdisc and the beginning of DVD. It was uh-huh. very rare to find a, a widescreen movie in in uh, VHS until you know the end of VHS, basically. Right when uh-huh. start. Took over, and really, if you're if you're if you're watching a movie, um, it should be in the ratio that it was originally released in. Uh-huh. Uh, Sorcerer, by the way, is based on a, a previous movie called The Wages of Fear, which is a French film, which is I've seen as well, and it's it's a little bit inferior, I would say. It's it's quite quite different and far inferior, I would say, actually. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what do you got? What do you got as a um, pick of the week? The well, my pick of the week is going to be uh, The Book of the New Sun on Audible, which I haven't listened to yet. (laughs) But um, they're fantastic. I haven't heard these, but I've read them. uh, Jonathan Davis is the narrator. Um, There's four volumes, Shadow of the Torturer. uh, Let's see. The Claw of the Conciliator, The Sword of the Lictor, and then the last one is called The Citadel of the Autark. And... um, they're really just fantastic books. These, um, you know, if you're looking for proof that science fiction can be literary, this is really it. Um, There's so many levels to these things. They bear multiple readings, multiple listenings, I'm sure, because Jonathan Davis is kick butt. So I'm yeah, sure yeah. that they're going to be well performed. So I'm really looking forward to listening to them. Um, they're science fantasy books. Um, somebody, mean, somebody on uh, our SFF audio Yahoo group. Um, was mentioning, you know, the idea of a book so good you have to, you have to sort of stretch it out so that it doesn't uh-huh. go away. And I, I said, you know, I sort of there are a few books that I savor, but mostly I, I, I won't read it again. I'll just move on, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, find something else. And I think uh, this might be that, you know, the kind of book where you, you say, okay, I'm not going to be distracted when I listen to this because I'm looking forward to it. You know, right, right. Don't sort of start it half-hearted. You say. When would be the perfect time? Aha, that'll be the perfect time. <laughs> you bet. Jump in hip deep. 
because that, uh, from everything I've read and what you've said about it, it sounds really good. And yeah. Jonathan Davis is going to be terrific. At right. It. And Gene Gene Wolf is just a terrific writer. He's not um, he's not your average writer. He expects a lot out of the reader. Um, he doesn't. Uh, he, he'll he'll do things like, you know, uh, you have a character that that's here, and then you know, hundred pages later, the character comes back. And he just assumes that you remember who that was. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so, you know, he expects a little bit of, uh, you know, give and take with the reader, which I think is really cool. Um, but anyway, fantastic books. Thrilled to death that they're on audio and thrilled to death that they're read by Jonathan Davis. So, uh, so yeah, we got to get those in our podcast. I've got to get some more audible credits. Yeah. Um, I've got, I've got so much to listen to, but those sound really good. Oh, yeah. I, 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 speaking of things I got to listen to, uh, sent directly to me because apparently I'm the biggest fan in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, was the Blake seven, um, latest and last in the early adventure series. It's a, uh, two half hour, 30, 34 minute sort of, um, adventures, uh, of Jenna. She's one of the characters from the original Blake Seven series, uh-huh. um, and uh, just started it. Sounding really good, sounding oh, really cool. good. It, it's uh, uh, Carrie Dobro, I think. Is her how do you pronounce her name? She's uh, she played uh, a character on the ill-fated uh, Crusade series, uh, Babylon Five Crusade. Mm-hmm. Yep. She played an alien on that, and uh, she was really good there. I haven't okay. seen her in much other than that, but mm-hmm. she's just a really good actress. So great. this is going to be great. And then um, that'll wrap up the current series of um, Blake Seven Adventures. They actually released the 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 early the 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 season one pack first. This is the early adventures, and hopefully there's going to be more coming soon. They, they, I've been looking at the website, and they they had uh, announced a television series for Sky TV mm. in the UK, mm-hmm. but Nothing. Nothing's come of that uh, since since the announcement. So, um, even if they never do a t- TV series, this is this is basically the best space opera audio drama I've ever heard. I've heard some great stuff, and this right. is way up there. Cool. It's terrific. Yeah, I still have got to listen to some of those. I got I have not seen any. Hands. It was a TV show, you said, right? And yeah, I, you haven't seen Blake Seven, so uh, never seen it. Uh, uh, never listened to him. So, but I need to. It's great stuff. Good. Hey, another thing that Audible has uh, another author that I haven't mm-hmm. seen on audio before <clears throat> is Brian Aldis. Brian W. Aldis. Mm. They've got uh, his Heliconia series, which is a trilogy. Mm. Heliconia: Spring, Summer, and Winter. There's three books there. And I remember seeing have, uh, uh, there was a, a video, not a video game, a role playing game based on that series, oh, I believe, cool. in the late '80s as well. Mm-hmm. Great, and then they put out Nonstop, which is a famous one. I can't remember mm-hmm. what that's about, but I, I think that I've read it. And I've then, heard of it. Uh, the best SF stories of Brian W. Aldis. That'll be good. Yeah, I read uh, the last thing I read by by him is was a novel called Hot House, which mm-hmm. is actually. You, what, you call them a fix-up, right? Yep. A whole bunch of short stories. At the not end. just me. Not just yeah, me. Yeah. It's a Wikipedia well, entry You're the one who introduced the term to me. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, which is, which is a, a bunch through. of short stories stuck together into a novel, either with some additional material or some material to make it fit, or or just, just stuck together without indication that it w- was previously right. uh, yeah. a bunch of short stories separate. You bet. 
I do wish that Audible would go ahead and list what stories are included here, but it says a selection yeah. of 20, 22 best science fiction stories chosen by the author himself and they, representative they of the full range of his 30-year career. I mean, that's that's great, but they should really give me a list. They should. Yeah. They should. Um, the best SF stories of Brian W. Aldous is the name of that title. I guess <clears> that's <throat> sort of up to us. We have to, you know, yes, get a copy we can, we and then go that. through it. Mark down what's in there because right. if, if they're not doing it, we got to do it for them. Yeah, I remember the same. They had the same problem, and it's not just Audible, but it wasn't even on no, the packaging it's, it's for uh, the uh, oh, not the Arthur C. Clarke stuff. I think no, I think the, the Arthur that. C. Clarke stuff too. But um, oh, the guy who wrote Song of Ice and Fire, George R. R. Martin. Ah, right. He had uh, Dream Songs, and it, the three audiobooks came out, and they none of them listed what stories were included. Right. Yeah. Not sure why. It's, you know, it, it, it's, we think, you know, you look at the slick package and you say, oh, this is beautiful. But uh, you know how much time the, the guy who's working on that uh, that package spends thinking about it? Uh, like probably three or not four much. seconds. <laughs> three or four seconds. Uh-huh. And so, you know, he's churning out the same sort of stuff over and over and over again, which is novels. And then all of a sudden, audio audiobook full of uh, short stories. Ah! Any, any other details, just put what's on, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why it ends up that way. Right, because, right. And if you if you start looking, you'll see typos all over the place or data that spoils the book, which shouldn't be on the back, yeah, right? Yeah. They don't spend a, nearly enough time proofing the the work that they're doing, I think. Sure. Uh, in, in at least the paper versions. I think in uh, on the internet, it's a lot easier to fix these problems, have them pointed out to you that fix it instantly, you know, typos or mm-hmm. yeah. Or, but uh, when you're doing it for publication, you really ought to check that mm-hmm. one more time, yeah. run it through somebody else's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, uh, they've also published uh, Maps in a Mirror by Orson Scott Card, five volumes, and these are actually from Blackstone Audio. They're available now on Audible. Um, so five volumes worth of short stories from Ar- Orson Scott Card, um, and those do list the stories in the descriptions. Hmm. So that's a lot of short stories. They're about ten hours yeah. per audiobook, so about fifty hours of short story. Whoa! Yeah, <laughs> it's substantial. I I, I didn't know he had written that much. I mean, I knew he had written a lot of books and a lot uh-huh. of novels, yeah. but fifty hours worth of short stories. Yeah, that was... That's substantial writing, man. A lot of early career stuff. Because Maps in a Mirror came out um, years ago. Yeah, it did, but I I can't imagine just that many. Uh Uh-huh. I guess... One of the things that that Card did a lot, you know, in Ender's Game, you know, his most famous book started out as a piece of short fiction. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that um, several of his novels started out as a piece of short fiction. Elmore Leonard does that all the time. He's, does he? he? It's a novel based on a character sketch. He sort of does as a short story, and because he's so he's so uh, well known and well loved, you know, anybody buys a story with Elmore Leonard, put it in their magazine, they're they're going to get sales, right? Cool. Um, so you'll see he's actually not a great short story writer, Elmore Leonard. Uh-huh. Um, so okay, short story writer, but the main thing is, you know, he, he finds a care a character. And then uh, makes a novel out of it. So the, the famous one of his, I think one of the best crime novels ever, uh, is Out of Sight, 
Uh, mm. Turned into a very good movie with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. You know the movie I'm talking about? I don't. It's terrific. You should watch that. That's the second pick of the week, okay? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Two picks of um, the week. It's really a great, great movie. Yeah. Um, uh, the audiobook is, is terrific as well. I think it's uh, Joe Mantegna. I'm not 100% sure about that. Cool. Uh, uh, anyways, um, uh, that started off as a short story called uh, Karen Makes Out, which is just to give us the character of Karen Sisko and to sh- see sort of the scenario in which, you know, how would it work? And you can sort of see him working out what's going to happen. And then when you read the book, the novel, um, it's the same character and same sort of situation, just expanded it to novel length, right? Yeah. Exact same situation, just expanded to novel length. Huh. And it's, you know, it's, it's sort of trying it out and seeing how it fits, and then it's up. But it's not a fix-up, because it, it, it it's replacing, sort of, it's replacing the earlier short story. Huh. I see. It was really strange when I discovered it, because I, I, I was a huge fan of Elmore Leonard, uh, I guess in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, I was getting everything I could uh, to read by him. And uh, I, I found that in a collection of um, short stories of crime authors. And um, I thought, Karen Sisko, that sounds really familiar. And then I, I did a little digging on, you know, when the publication dates lined up and stuff. So um, it's interesting the way authors get their work done, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hey, one one more thing. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just been a huge, uh, huge bunch of stuff since our last podcast. There's probably... Uh, yeah, uh, 40 yeah. audiobooks that have been put on in the science fiction area on Audible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I noticed that Meatball Fulton put a bunch of his audio drama out there. Um, oh, really? Yeah, Ruby is out there, a whole bunch of the Ruby titles. And now I'm, that I'm that, assuming that that door was opened time. once they went to the enhanced audio format. Yeah. Um, because they're just not as good without that. But no. I'd recommend okay. Ruby 1. If you haven't heard of Ruby, check out Ruby 1, The Adventures of a Galactic Gumshoe. And um, this is a radio that was put on national public radio in a, like three minute pieces, and each one is almost like a song track um, with all the sound and everything that you get. It's out a of that. rich audio environment. It's very rich. Yeah, it's it's really cool. But check that's how out they Ruby did one. the uh, Blake Seven uh, originally as well. They did mm-hmm. it in little three four minute segments um, before they released it to yeah. CD. And I see here the Played Atrocity the Archives, the Atrocity Archives by Charles Strauss from Recorded Books is on. Oh, Audible. good. Yeah. So that's out there. Nice. Man, I could just go on. It's just really great stuff. So um, for my birthday, I want I want Ted Chiang's all t- the entire audiography of Ted Chiang <laughs> out. That's maybe great. by then he'll have something else written. Right. I, right. I think going back to what you were saying, you know. Um, hard science fiction. He's not, he's not so, I guess he is hard generally, mm-hmm. hard science fiction, but the main thing is, you know, he can't write faster because it's hard for him to write that well, I guess, or to uh-huh. get an idea that that's good and that he can work out that well. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff that is written a lot faster or authors who write a lot faster are not working on that kind of material. They're working on uh, something softer, uh-huh. something more about character and less about, um, uh, metaphysical engagement with the world. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if you're into fantasy, I just noticed mm-hmm. uh, Catherine Kurtz has several books on Audible now from Audible Frontiers. Um, trying to remember the the name. Uh, I'm looking for it here. It was just here in front of me moments ago. But it was uh, the the Saint, and, and I haven't read these, which is why. Okay, the Bishop's Heir is the first one, called the Histories of King Kelson, Book One. That's a mm-hmm. book that I saw, you know, amongst... I was never a huge fantasy reader, but I remember in high school, the kids that read fantasy, they all had this. <laughs> mm. you know, a whole bunch of Catherine Kurtz books. So, um, The Bishop's Heir, The Histories of King Kelson, book one. Um, and then she's just got uh, Dernai... Derini? I don't even know how you pronounce that. I don't know. Yeah, the Der- Der- Derini novels. Anyway. Uh, several of her books are out there now. If you're into fantasy, I think she's pretty popular. Um, several new David Webbers, uh, some like Starship flagship that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the one I'm working on. Yeah, just great. Uh, it's kind of sad to see that series wrap up, but on the other hand, I'm glad that it is because uh-huh. wrapping up is what a series should do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Don't yeah. let it go on forever because Not forever, right? It gets just it's diminishing returns after a certain point, you know. It's just, yeah, yeah. Not mentioning any names. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.